man. You go for it, bro. <laughs> cool. How's it, guys? Um, so if you guys don't know me, I'm Tyler. I've studied Mark Force for about 20 years now. So it's been my pretty much... <laughs> and, yeah, so as I said, if I start talking too fast or walking around too much, please tell me. Because it might just happen. Um, so, yeah. So I felt the Lord start speaking to me about worth. So worth is, it's, it's a pretty big deal. I mean, worth, so the biggest thing, so, so what we all know is money. Yeah. We, life revolves about, around money. So everyone knows 100 Rand. That's, that's worth quite a bit, eh? But so what I'm going to say now, it's probably, it's stood around in my life also quite a bit. So I actually want someone to come up. Um, ah, actually, I wanted to call Jacob. Cool. <laughs> no, no, stay, stay. Cool. Cool. So I'm going to start off just a little slow. So if I to say, do you want this, would you take it? So it's a clean bowl. Nothing's wrong with it. So you would take it, eh? If I to fold it up, probably still take it. Crumple it up. Probably still. Stood on it, just a little tramp. You would still take it. Good, good. Cool. Hey, see, so, I mean, 100 bucks, you know the worth, it doesn't change. I mean, hey, it's fine, you can sit down. Right, cool. <laughs> no, you can keep it. Go, go. Right, cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> cool. So, it's, you see, this tiny piece of paper, I mean, our, our lives revolve around it. And the biggest thing is now, for us, I mean, Throughout our lives, we get stepped on, we get trampled over, we get looked down on upon, we get shamed. And, I mean, how do you feel as a person after so many years of just end, ending up like this? I mean, for me personally, I've messed up a lot of the years. I mean, Mike, Hannes, Nate, you guys have, you guys have helped me out so much over the years. Eh? I mean, I've ended up like this more times than I can remember. And... Yeah, I'm gonna get lost now. <laughs> um, let me take a quick. Uh. <laughs> cool. So, another way to clarify worth. I mean, so this is a rough one, but when Jesus was crucified by the Romans, I mean, he was beaten, he was whipped. He was thorns on his head. He was utterly and totally destroyed at that point. And still, he died, but, I mean, he rose again. And he's, he was worth more, not only to us, because he died for us. His blood paid for our sins. And because of that reason, I'm able to stand up here unashamed of, well, I can't really say unashamed, but, but <laughs> I you guys get what I'm trying to say there, but, I'm able to do this and share what I've been through, and not only from my perspective, but hopefully from what I'm saying, from what you guys have been through, you're able to realize that the, oh. <laughs> yeah, um. We're able to, uh, Cool. 
So, yeah, I've already forgotten what you said now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, it, yeah, it's, it's not from what we're worth. It's from what the Lord's worth. From what he's done for us, we're able to do the same for him. We're able to pull guys in. We're able to help them out. We're able to get them out of sticky situations, not only in their lives, but, I mean, financial situations. I mean, everyone, um, everyone knows from work, I mean, finance sucks. And me only, so I can't really say much for me just starting out. I finished school basically a year ago now, and, but I've already figured out how much it actually sucks. <laughs> I've had my parents the whole time for me, and now from working, it's like, yo, okay. Got to keep so much and so much for the month. But, uh, where's my, sorry, just need to grab something quick. <laughs> One thing that actually I read over quite a bit is so Colossians 2, 1 verse 2. And for the, as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged. Mm. I mean, that, that's pretty big. So please stop me if I go in the wrong spot. But we see the Lord through spirit. We see him here during worship mostly. That's where I see him. And just from, I'm going to help him here, then he's going to jump on. I know what he wants to say. So the, the hundred rand that you crumbled up, man, I think often many of us are like that, where either because of sin or because others have stepped on us, but it's still worth a hundred bucks. And, uh, and, and often, like he says, he, he's been folded many times, through, either through his own doing or through other people's doing. But I know that this year, and, and he said that the thing that gives us worth is not because we are so great, but because Jesus paid for us. And, um, and when we, I sat with him on Thursday evening, and, uh, and he just said, you know, this year, I want to give back to God what he paid for me to, to name. I want to give him what he's worthy for. And uh, that's what he wanted to share with us. That is what he's sharing with yeah. us, okay? And so you must interrupt me if you got your line already, okay? But I know that Tyler's desire this, this year is to say, guys, I'm committing to want to give God this year what he paid for me to, to, to be able to be here for. And so I think with that, I actually want to stir us, like, to live in a way worthy of the gospel. That's what, what Peter says. And live in a way worthy of the gospel this year. That I want to, not because I'm so great and I'm a speakerish clean 100 bucks, but because Jesus paid for us to be um, used. And um, that's it, man. That's what you wanted to share. Yeah. You did great, bro. I love it. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... I want to, just before you run off, I want to I wanna ask you, don't you want to pray for us? I know, uh, so this is, I, I want to I wanna tell you this, okay, this is hard what he did just now, okay, to, to <laughs> preach for the first time. You did well, bro, okay, and, uh, but, but the point is, I know that Jesus is doing something in your heart about wanting to burn for him in a way that's worthy of, of, of what he paid for us for, and so don't you want to pray for us that we will also be set alight to burn for Jesus um, and not look at ourselves as crumbled up, but that he paid for us, that he can use us. Pray for us, bro. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, God, we just want to 
thank you for everything you've done for us, Lord. We just want to pray that you'll help us throughout this year, Lord. We won't get trampled or looked over. And even if we do, we'll stand up and remember what you've done for us, Lord. And, oh. <laughs> Sorry. Amen. Amen. Well done. Very good <laughs> nice. Well done, Flanagan. Hey? Offering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good man. I like that. Uh, we're gonna do it more. Uh, for for the reason like to that uh, we need to bring the rest of us through here. So hold on to your hats. But I like that. Well done, Flanagan. Um, just trying to guys. You, you guys must help me now. But on that note, speaking of money, Jake, where's that money? You must put it in the box today, bro. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. We, I don't know. Do we have our tithes and offering boxes here today? Uh, is it in the back? Can we maybe ask, would you just start sending around and want to encourage us? Um, we, we got our boxes and we've also got our banking, banking details on there if you, if you don't have that yet. But uh, I want to stir us. Let's give generously unto the Lord. I'm not going to do a finance message now. Uh, we're just going to go off that. Um, but I want to, who's going to be first between you and Mike? Let me just ask that. It looks like it's Dylan. We, we're going to jump straight in. Are we, um, we're just trying to find God here today. Okay? So I want to ask you, we, you know, sometimes it's hard, like you're trying to find the Spirit, but it's also we're trying to bring people through, and it's like we're trying to find God. So would you be keen to journey with us today, just as we try and discover the Lord? Um, is that cool? I'll be honest, I have no clue where we're going, but we're going with Dylan for now. And uh, so, uh, what, bro, why don't you share with what you have on us? And, um, but I do want to, just, just before you share, I, I do want to pause for a moment. Can we just close our eyes? And um, Lord, I, I do pray that we just say from the outset that our desire here is not just to run through a meeting and do, do the normal stuff or even do different stuff, but our desire is to meet with God, to meet with you. So I want to pray, just even as we're sitting here on this hot day, um, Right now, with your presence come, God, and just fill this room. Um, that's really what we desire, God, is to meet with you. So I pray, Lord, it's, if it was a rush day, if we've been busy, um, whatever, Lord, I, I just pray right now, would you come and quiet our hearts and um, open our eyes to see, to see God. I want to see you, Lord. Bless you, God. Amen. So you can send the, the offering box will come past, we'll send it through, but you go first along there. <laughs> sure. So I feel the presence of God here already, so hopefully you're feeling the same thing, then I don't have to try so hard. <laughs> but Mike sent me a message saying he's preaching, well, I take team with him. And he, when he first sent it to me, it said, he wants to share on seeing God clearly. And I was like, do I actually see God clearly? Because it's kind of like, and what does that mean? What is seeing God? Like, do I see His image standing in front of me, talking to me? No, then I don't see God clearly. I haven't seen God clearly ever then. I've never seen God walking in a meeting. Some people have. But how have I seen God clearly in each and every one of you? Lives chained before my eyes. Oof. Serious lives. People that were broken when they came here. Myself. In drugs. I did drugs. I sold drugs. I hurt people. I did crazy things before I met Jesus. 
And I thought I was just having fun. But actually, and every time I look at a life change, people say to me, how do you see God? It's a life change, the boy. Guys that come in broken, crying, like I did. And now they're serving God. They want to do stuff for God. They want to be in places where they can do more for God and be kind. And like Tyler wants to make a difference. That's how we see God as real. But we're looking for this big light flying out of the sky and we want the supernatural things to be flying around the room where they're all sitting right next to you. Every single supernatural thing is sitting next to you right now. Every heart change for the kingdom is a supernatural miracle right here. And we need it and we need each other so much. And this year I've also been decided, like last year, I I finished off last year and I was so hungry for God. I was like this... And I kept hearing guys saying, yeah, we're so tired. And I was like, shoot, just be quiet eventually. Because I'm like, I'm amping. I'm like, I'm frothing. I'm, I don't know what, to, I didn't even know how to put it into words. Like, I was just, so I was just trying to keep myself quiet. Like, just, you just be quiet. Sure, they might be tired, but you aren't. So just don't put your what you are on them. <laughs> and that's where we've got to get to is, how do I fill myself with God? And I, I've shared this with a couple guys. And I'm just going to try and do a quick bit of justice while I've got some time. But this guy, and I've showed this, we met with a group of guys, and, uh, and Daniel shared it with his community as well. There's this guy who's got this big glass jar of ping pong balls. They're pink. And he just starts to pour, and he says, this is what we do when we pray. And he pours the water into the ping pong balls, and nothing really happens. It just fills the gaps. And he says, then we go to church, and we feel all gushy and warm, you know, like when you come to church on Sunday, and it's nice. But... The ping pong balls represent all your bad and all the stuff of you, your flesh. Nothing really changes. You're still completely full of yourself. And then he says, and as we start filling, because if anything worth doing is worth doing continuously. So he starts to pour a little bit more. And as he does it, the ping pong balls start rising and popping off and falling out and leaving. Then he fills it up to halfway and he goes, most of our stuff is gone. But inside here is still some of us. But when people see you, so if Drion had to look from the back, he wouldn't even see the water in the back. He would just see the ping pong balls. And that's what people see in us because we haven't filled ourselves completely. All they're seeing is what's still left in us. And we, so we have a half God thing. So we're good. Like God is good all the time. And it's great. But on my birthday, I'm going to drink too much. And oh, it's okay. And I'm going to post bad things on Facebook. Because I'm up here and God's good. And, and, and we're like one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And what we do is we get stuck in that place. And we, can't, we feel God, but we don't see God clearly because there's still so much of ourselves in there. And he takes more water and he just pours it until it completely overflows and there's no ping pong balls left. And he says the beauty of that is, and I'll, I, would, I was going to ask Henri to come do the dance because she kind of liked the dance that we did in it. I don't know what embarrassed her. So he says, this is my favorite part. This is my favorite part. This is my favorite says, even when sin comes back, it can never go past the surface because we're full with God. And even if you try and push sin into that, it's not going to break because we're continuously filling ourselves. So we need to continuously fill ourselves with God in everything we do. So where we're in that place, there's no way the, so that we can get tempted, we can get through those things, but they'd never penetrate past where they're supposed to go. So I wanted to quickly just share five points that would help us in how we get to that place where we see God clearly. Am I doing good? Five minutes, cool. Number one, humility. Getting rid of your pride and your arrogance. It's probably my 
my number one thing I always need to deal with. I want to count. Come on, I want you guys to notice how good I'm doing. That's pride. Arrogance, I can do this better than you. How shocking is that? I love you guys, but I'm arrogant. What? And something that we have to deal with continuously in our, our hearts all the time is this thing that just rises up the whole time of, I want to be noticed, I want to, and not God. And every time I put myself in that, if I'm not humbling myself in that place where pride and arrogance isn't allowed to rise. So we need to take control of those things, those things that come against us. Please take control of it. It's hard. I know. I've sat in here before and I, oh, like, does anybody even see me? And what do I want you to see? So actually I want to see you to see Jesus, not the ping pong balls. Community. We all need each other. How much you put in is how much you're going to get out. If you want to get something out of this church, put a lot in it. If you're holding back, busy with other things, that's what you're going to get. And I put this to the test. I've seen it. When I say I see people's lives change, I do. And some of them I see skyrocket, and some people I just see basically that little teet, teet, and not this teet, raise, because they throw everything into it. When you throw everything into something, you get a return. If I put my whole heart into getting better in myself, suddenly lots of things change around me, not just what I'm planning to do. So for my, my thing, I'll tell you, I'll be vulnerable, is weight. I wanted to lose weight this year and be a little bit fitter because lockdown was good to me. Woo! And I'm not pregnant. It was just lockdown. Lockdown's been so kind. And it's birthed something in me. <laughs> it's not what I wanted, but it did. But um, we, we want to we be those people that... So I set my goal, and I want to get fit. But with that comes, now and I start eating right. I need to commit to going to something to actually get fit to. And I need to go to bed at a certain time, because otherwise I wake up in the morning, I'm tired, and by the time 12 o'clock comes, there's no way I'm going to go and get fit anyway. I'm pup. So there's a discipline, that, and one thing just rolls into another thing. And as we start applying ourselves, a lot of things change, and that's exactly the same in community. If you push into the people in your community, if you give your heart to that thing, you're going to see how your heart's going to change. Am I still doing good? Okay, I've got two minutes. I've got to rush through that last three. Simplicity. The world has grabbed us, eh? Come on. There's so much need, but we want. We want so much stuff. We, we fill our lives with stuff that's got nothing that helps us nowhere to go into the kingdom of God. I get sidetracked on like, it could be anything. What I wear, what I drive, where I live. It's become so complicated. That, and that's the world's view of how we see ourselves. What we need to be seeing is, what? do I need to do in order for me to line myself up to what the kingdom is pulling me into? Where do I position myself for the for kingdom? Okay, I'm going to rush to the next because I don't want to take up too much time. Submission. This is a hard one, eh? Submit yourselves one to another. 
as Christ submitted to the church, to the Father. Wives, submit to your husbands. Wives, that's quite a, I don't want to offend wives, but it's not supposed to sound like you're a doormat when, when you hear that. Because husbands have to submit to God and give an account for how they treat their wives and how they love them and love them like... But submission in ourselves is who you're accountable to. Is your life accountable? Are you speaking to people about what you're going through? Or are you just saying, oh, it's just me and God, bro. But you know your life's going this way. And as soon as you start making yourself accountable to other people, your life starts going closer to God. So if you want to get closer to God, connect with someone that can walk with you and point out your faults. Don't go and hang out with somebody who says, you're the coolest guy, everything's lack of red. No, you, you're going to, and you're going nowhere. Move away from that person if you have to. Not because you don't love them, because you want more in God. So submit to people that are going to speak into your lives. Sometimes it's going to rub you up wrong. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. And then the last one is brokenness. So I've been through a lot of that. And I, I can tell you, as much as it hurts, it's changed my character. I don't know if that's the right way I can talk. I used to be very harsh. Like if you were like sitting on like, hey, you can just change, go, take you out, you're going to get kicked out the church. And there, was no, there was no heart behind your situation. But get, fall into a place of brokenness and people don't understand it, and they're speaking to you in that place, you suddenly realize how much you need to really consider everybody's position where they're at, what they're walking in right then, before you speak. So build bridges before you start to cross roads. Because you never know what's going on on the other side of somebody else's heart and life and their road that they're walking with God. Thanks. Awesome, Dylan. So Dylan kind of had an idea of what I wanted to share, what I felt God, what, rather not what I wanted to share, but what I felt God wanted to share with us uh, this afternoon. And Tyler had no clue, but God is speaking. I do believe that what the Lord wants to do is, is shift some of our thinking and our understanding about Him and ourselves, not just today, but as we walk with him throughout this year. And so that's what I'm going to be sharing. But before I, I start my preach, I want to say a huge thank you to you all for your love and your concern and your prayers, the meals we received, the oxygen tanks we received, everything whilst, whilst I was sick. Chantel's also been sick. Um, I am doing much better, nearly there now. Uh, I think my immune system must be the strongest against COVID in the world right now. I've had COVID twice. I've been jabbed twice. So uh, I should be able to beat up COVID these days. So, But thank you very much. It, it really is uh, very humbling and uh, amazing to see just how, how much you cared for us and looked after us while, uh, while we were sick. So thank you. <laughs> I'm glad we're here. So I want to start with a poem. And the poem's a little bit strange because it's meant as a, as a two-parter. But I, I'm, I'm just going to read it as a one-parter. And uh, just to, to put you in the setting, this is uh, some advice from two lawyers to Christians who want to be the perfect Christian. Who wants to be the perfect Christian? Good luck. Okay, so, so imagine there's two of me here. With my size, that's not difficult, but... Uh, 
we have a feeling, some of you, a feeling fairly sure that all you really need to do is try to keep the law. You wish you knew for sure, though. Can you break it once or twice and still get into heaven? What you need is some advice. You need some legal expertise, and we provide just that. We are your humble servants, Messrs. Murgatroyd and Pratt. The law is rather difficult. There's such a lot of it. Perhaps you haven't understood. Perhaps you are a twit. If you would live life by the law, you'd better, he- you'd better heed our warning. The first mistake that you will make is waking in the morning. The moment the alarm goes off, you make a tiny slip. And by the time you're out of bed, you're in the devil's grip. You can't be bad or sad or mad or rude or crude or greedy. You're not allowed to flash your cash. You give it to the needy. You're not allowed to shun the crowd. You have to love them all, especially if they bore you stiff and drive you up the wall. You mustn't steal or fight or feel embarrassed by your zits or go along to swimming pools to look at naughty bits. (laughs) Can you forgive your cousin Viv and tell her so as well? Or stay with ancient Auntie May, despite the horrid smell. And if you're lending anything that you will surely miss, you're not allowed to want it back. For example, give me this. (laughs) Mine now. And if you do do something right, it's no good saying, well, I am a little sunbeam now. That's pride, you'll go to hell. We hope that we've conveyed to you the danger that you're in. But please, you mustn't worry. No, you mustn't, that's a sin. You see, you'll never keep the law. There's not a chance of that. We promise you can take the word of Murgatroyd and Pratt. Now, on one level, I think... Most of us would understand that we don't go to heaven by keeping the law or keeping a set of rules. But I do think in some way, many of us have deep down this feeling that we've got to be good Christians and and kind of toe the line and, and attain some kind of spiritual standard in order to come into and experience the presence of God. I see that because when people have had a bad week, they say, I can't worship because I've been bad this week. But the truth is, it doesn't matter how we've been by the cross of Jesus, and this is what we heard from Tyler, we have the right to come into his presence and seek his face no matter what our circumstance, no matter how ugly we feel, no matter how much we've trampled, no matter how crumpled up we are. But in that place, we don't stay as we are. We undergo a process of restoration. So we don't become perfect so that we can enter the presence of God. We enter the presence of God so that he can make us perfect. And that's a radical promise for many of us who deal with guilt and shame and condemnation. And I'm not saying we ignore the fact that we've sinned, but here's the deal. The promise of God is that he is making you not better, 
He's not making you a better person. He's making you a new person, a perfect person. But in order for that, the work of God and the Spirit of God to be effective and at work in us, I think we have to sometimes change our mindset. Because our theology shapes how we see God, but how we see God shapes our theology. And some people think, if I just read my Bible more, if I read more theological books, I'll have a better relationship with God, and there may be some truth in that. But if you see God wrong, then everything you read, you will read through a filter of seeing God wrong. And theology is not an end. I I don't like being called a theologian. People say, oh, you're a theologian. No, because theologians love theology. They love debate. They love the knowledge. I don't love the knowledge. I love the person. And then I love communicating about the person. Theology is great. Understanding of God is great. But, and we read this in Matthew 16, when Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And they gave loads of answers. And he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus didn't answer, well done, Peter. You've obviously been reading your Bible. Well done, Peter. You're a real theologian. He said, blessed are you, Peter, because this was revealed by my Father in heaven. I read something on Facebook. It was a quote. I won't tell you it's from because I don't want to. But the quote said, the greater our theology, the deeper our worship. I thought, well, there's some truth in that. But actually, it's not always true because sometimes the deepest worship comes from the person who's just met Jesus from the first, for the first time and knows nothing except Jesus loves me. Karl Barth, the great theologian, and if any of you have read any Karl Barth and understand what he's saying, you're cleverer than me. But Karl Barth, who, I mean, he writes these big, thick books of deep, and he said, the most profound theology I ever read was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Uh, the more deep and profound our theology doesn't necessarily lead to more profound worship. Deeper love And greater intimacy leads to deeper worship. And I want to give us an illustration that I believe is a key that God wants us to to take hold of for the year. And you know, in the Middle Ages, uh, throughout Europe in particular, um, many, many cathedrals were built. Incredible, beautiful buildings like St. Paul's in London or St. Peter's in Rome or Notre Dame in Paris. And the builders and the architects said, this is the house of God. We must build something of such grandeur and such size and such beauty that it reflects to people how amazing and beautiful and powerful and great our God is. And that was their thinking. And their thinking was right, they just had the wrong house. Because a house of God should reflect his beauty and his glory and his wonder and his power and his majesty. But God doesn't live in a house built of stone. Uh, I've been to Notre Dame, I've been to St. Paul's, I've been to St. Peter's in Rome. There are incredible works of architecture. They've got incredible works of art in them. You, you can spend hours just gazing at the beauty that man has carved and created. 
but it pales compared to the beauty of God. And God does not reside in that temple. He resides in this temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us. Your job is to display the wonder and the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16 is the verse for that. Don't you know that you are the temple of God, that God wants to come and live and reside and display himself to you, in you, and through you? And you may feel today a little bit like Notre Dame Cathedral. It doesn't quite carry the glory today it did five years ago. It caught fire and it's now a shell and the spire and people are talking about restoring it. It's, it's, it's damaged and it's not got the beauty that it once had. But the beauty of this temple isn't about externals. Thank goodness, look at me. But it's about the beauty of God emanating from us. In the Westminster Catechism, which is um, it's a, question, a series of questions and answers uh, that people learn to, to, to learn and show their understanding of correct doctrine. And the one question is, what is man's chief end? Or what is man's chief purpose? And the answer, does anybody know the answer? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Do you know that's your purpose? You know, you can say, well, isn't our purpose to reach the lost? That's part of it. Isn't our purpose to worship? That's part of it. Because all of those things, reaching the lost, worshiping, loving people, serving people, bringing people meals when they're sick, what do those things do ultimately? They glorify God. They display the beauty of God to those who come and see the house. And so in the Middle Ages, they had this incredible idea to do that with what they called the house of God. They just had the wrong house. And one of these buildings, one of these churches, and we visited it a couple of years ago, is the Sistine Chapel in Rome. It's a chapel within the Vatican. And in the 15th century, the Pope at the time, he built this and he said, I want this to be the most beautiful thing that reflects the beauty and glory of God. So he sought out the greatest artist of his day, Michelangelo, and said, won't you paint the interior of this chapel? And Michelangelo, and most of us know the story, if we've not, even if we've not seen the finished work. He spent years and years painting this ceiling. And if we show phot photograph number one, this is an old picture of the Sistine Chapel. And you can see it's all these panels and the different panels display different parts of the Bible story from creation through to the return of Christ. And it was considered one of the greatest works of art of all time. And over the centuries, people came to look at it. And this, is, this chapel isn't a museum, it's a working chapel. You can visit it, but it's a working chapel. You're not allowed to take photographs when you're in there. I got a few because somehow my camera that was around my neck, something must have just touched the shutter a couple of times while it was accidentally pointed upwards. But you're not allowed to take photographs. And over the years and over the centuries, people marveled about it. And then 
art experts and art historians began to write books about it and explain to art students why it's so amazing and, and what the detail is. And, you know, famous people's faces were put on, on, on the figures of the, the Bible and, and, and to try and explain this and the symbolism. And, and one of the things that they talked about was why did Michelangelo use such dark, muted colors? And they said, because he lived in the 15th century when, you know, you had bubonic plague and, and poverty and starvation and lots of mud and, you know, it was a dark, depressing, difficult time. And so what Michelangelo was doing was by using these dark colors, he was expressing something of the nature of his times. And there's books you can read about that. And all these experts with the great thinking and their expertise had an explanation for why these colors were so dark and muted. And then in the 1980s, they decided, let's do some restoration and some cleaning work. Before and after. Go to the next picture. Before and after. And I think there's a fourth picture. Those colors are not dark. They are not muted. They are not depressing. And in fact, when you're there, actually some of those colors are even brighter than that. They're vivid, vibrant, amazing colors that just leap out at you. And the problem was the art experts didn't understand. They hadn't seen the original what they'd seen was something that had been masked by dirt and pollution. And because they hadn't seen it as it was intended, they'd developed a whole thought process around why it was like it was. But the whole theology, if you like, the whole thought process, the whole understanding was wrong because they hadn't seen it as it was intended to be. And that can be us. We have a view of God. Sometimes because we haven't seen him for ourselves, we've only got a second-hand or third-hand information. When I, when I hear a lot of the new atheists, do you know what I mean by new atheists? Atheists who think that they're more evangelistic than Christians. Their mission is not just to uh, fight, it's to destroy Christianity and tell people how stupid it is. And often when they're talking, they talk about God, but they talk about him in terms of God. You've never met him. You've got this caricature of God. You've got this understanding of God that you're seeing him through a lens that is dirty, that is skewed, and that is obscuring the true beauty of God. And if only for one moment you saw him as he really is, he would destroy all of your thinking. Every thought process you have would be subjugated to that experience of the beauty and the glory of God. But it's true of us as well. People who walk in guilt and shame and condemnation of an insecurity in their relationship is often because they haven't seen God as he truly is. I've said this often before, but often people struggle to see God 
as the perfect father because their own father wasn't perfect. Maybe their own father was absent or abusive, and so they struggled to see God. But the reality is you will never understand God the Father by looking at your father, even if your father's pretty good. Hey, Abigail. (laughs) No matter how awesome your father is, he can reflect something, but he can't reflect God perfectly because no earthly father is perfect. But when you get a true revelation of God, then you'll get a true understanding of perfect fatherhood. It's seeing God and that, it's not seeing things and, and then assuming what God is like. There's a little line that keeps popping up on Instagram. If you've been hurt by the church, you've been hurt by people, not God. And generally that is true. Although God does hurt us sometimes just like a loving father will discipline. But even that, I understand and embrace the discipline of God only when I've seen God. I've got this thought process, and many people disagree with it because they say, we should bring back corporal punishment in schools. I don't think we should have corporal punishment in schools because I don't want a teacher disciplining my children because they don't love my child like I do. And discipline outside of love, man, it's destructive. And if we don't understand God, if we haven't seen him, if we don't know his love, and then he disciplines us, even though it's perfect, we view it wrongly and we respond wrongly. We need, in order to understand God's ways, First, have a revelation of God. And sometimes we get it so wrong because we're trying to understand God's ways in order to get to God. You'll never understand God's ways if you've not met Him. And Dylan said, have I ever seen God perfectly? And the answer is no. In one sense. But the disciples said to Jesus, show us the Father. And he said, have you learned nothing in the time that you've been with me? If you see me, you've seen the Father. And it's incredible that this God, who in one sense is so vast and so great that he's unknowable. Because we can't, in one sense, we can no more know God and understand God than an ant can understand a human being. And yet God, knowing that, came and revealed himself to us. So we don't see God by the level of our intellect, understanding, our holiness, our worthiness, or our effort. We see him through him revealing himself to us. Now we can position ourselves... We can, not, not to earn, but we can position ourselves, like Dylan said, through humility, through obedience. We can bring ourselves to a place where God is more easily able to break through our obstinacy and our restrictions and our thinking and reveal himself. And humility is a huge part of that because if you see one thing 
and the reality is different. It requires humility because, first of all, you've got to go, oh, I was wrong. Because <laughs> if you were never wrong, you'll never see the real thing. And these, the Sistine Chapel, it really is breathtaking. I'm not, I'm not somebody who enjoys spending hours in art museums. But it really is breathtaking. It is incredible to see. And it is incredibly beautiful. The problem was that over the years, bit by bit, dirt and pollution had attached itself to that image. And it was so slow and slow, so gradual. It's not like somebody came in and threw paint on it. Immediately people were like, oh, we've got... But because it was so slow and so gradual, nobody noticed what was happening. And that can happen to us as well. And there was three sources of this dirt and this pollution on the roof of the Sistine Chapel. One is the pollution of the world as industrialization kicked in and people started burning uh, coal and, and factories. Then pollution around the world just became worse. Pollution in the cities, pollution in cities like Rome. And so that pollution from the world entered into the chapel. It entered into the household of God. And so it is with us that as we are the household of God, it's so easy for the pollution of the world to enter into us. And often it goes unnoticed. Very rarely does a man go from like devout obedience to Jesus to going, okay, I'm going to commit adultery. It usually happens bit by bit. Wandering eyes, wandering thoughts, changing of... of it's a gradual, gradual, gradual thing until you find, whoa, I am so far from where I should be. And the pollution of the world can so easily enter into us. And the second source is that actually the operations of worship in the Sistine Chapel contributed to the pollution in the chapel as they burnt candles and incense. The smoke from the candles went up and stuck itself to the frescoes. Now, I'm not saying worship will obscure God, but religion certainly will. Religious practice will. And many of you go, well, thank God I'm not in a, in a dead traditional church. I'm in a kind of charismatic church with the Holy Spirit where we don't have a liturgy. So we're not going to fall into religion wrong. Wrong. Sticking your hands up in the air can be just as empty a religious practice as anything else. Dancing can be an empty religious practice. Coming to church can be an empty religious practice. Reading your Bible, this might shock some of you, can be an empty religious practice. Am I saying, therefore, that we shouldn't lift our hands, read our Bibles, worship? No, I'm saying we should do those things, but we should do those things out of relationship with a person, not because we're part of a system of attaining some standard. Seriously, guys. 
This may shock you, but I was was counseling a young man once, and I very rarely say this to anybody. And I said to him, I want you to do me a favor. I want you not to read your Bible for the next month. What kind of elder gives... How many of you are shocked that an elder would give a young guy that advice? Okay. You know why I told him that? Because he was obsessed with he had to read the Bible for a certain amount every day because that's what he had to do. In all, and I'm going, I just want you not to do it for a month, but to focus on Jesus instead. Because it's possible to read your Bible with no focus on Jesus. There's many theologians in this world. They can out-argue you on any area of theology. They'll know the Bible by heart better than any of us. They will be able to rip it apart and know the Hebrew and the Greek, and they have no relationship with Jesus. And you say, but doesn't it say um, (laughs) that faith comes through hearing and hearing the Word of God? Yes, it does. But apart from the fact that that scripture is taken out of context, that scripture does not mean the more you read the Bible, the more faith you'll have. I know many people who've read the Bible more than you have and have no faith. Because the Bible outside the Holy Spirit is incomprehensible. The word may be a lamp to my feet, but if there's no oil in the lamp, it cannot give light. And oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So the Bible gives light when I read it out of relationship, out of a sense of I need revelation. You can't understand the entirety of Scripture and the deep truths of the faith simply because you're an intellectual. And that's good news, isn't it, for those of us who aren't very clever? I've said this before, but for me, I've got this kind of general principle that the most important truths of the faith are the ones that are easiest to understand. And the more difficult it is to understand, the less important it is. Because God wants all men to be saved, even the stupid ones. (laughs) If it was a matter of we needed, the more intellectual we were, the more we could understand Jesus, then we would have a problem. And I'm not against intellectualism. God gave you a brain and he said, come let us reason together. But revelation does not come through the level of your intellect. It's having received revelation, I can apply my intellect. And sometimes the most profound things are said by the youngest children. And so pollution can come in from the world. It can come in from our own religious practices and our own habits. And sometimes church can be a habit, and it may be a good habit. And I'm not saying if it's become a habit, stop doing it. I'm saying this. If you've started coming to church just out of habit or obligation without relationship, don't stop coming. But when you come, try and connect with the person. And if you can't connect with the person, I've been through seasons where I've been in church, I've been at the front, I've given my all, I've been reading my Bible every day, I've been praying, and still it's like, God, are you in China? You've been there? Why am I doing this? Because I'm still not getting any revelation. And you know what's great then? is to hang out with people who do have. 
few years ago, I was sat in a coffee shop with a, with a, I won't say who it was, one of our leaders. And this leader had a profound understanding of the love of God, of sonship, of intimacy, but he really struggled to understand fear of God. He was like, no, no, we, it, perfect love casts out of, he, he didn't have a theology of fear. He didn't have a, 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 that theology that we need to fear God. It's, no, but we love God. And he couldn't recon- reconcile the two. And as we were chatting, I just said, you know, it's interesting for me that John the Apostle, in his gospel, describes himself as the apostle that Jesus loved. He was the one who laid his head against the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper. He had a love and an intimacy with Jesus. So, but when he writes Revelation in, in chapter 1, he sees the glorified Christ and falls on the floor as one dead in fear. It wasn't an either or. And as I said that, it wasn't because I'm so profound or I'm a great teacher. It was something of the revelation of God broke into that conversation and he went, stop. man. And you could tell it wasn't something he suddenly understood because I'd explained. It's because suddenly in our conversation, God broke through. And the incredible thing is since that time, his theology has changed because his relationship and understanding, his vision and revelation of Jesus has changed. And it's changed his ministry and it's changed him as a person. And he's seeing much more fruit, not because he was clever, but because he dared to hang around with somebody who was different and allowed the revelation of God to break in in that moment. And many of us, if we're honest, I would say, if we could all close our eyes and do a secret kind of thing, and I said, how many of you are struggling to really have a clear revelation of Jesus right now for you in your life? I think many of us would, would, would say, me. And that's not how Jesus wants it to be. Sometimes he hides himself, but he hides himself in order that he may be found. And his desire is to give us revelation and build revelation upon revelation. And some of us might say, well, he's hiding himself because I've sinned, I've failed, and I'm not good enough, and I'm too dirty. No. If that's where you are, and that's how you see yourself, then he's desperate to break through and give you revelation that he loves you where you're at. You see, we've got to hold intention, a revelation of Jesus, and see ourselves through that revelation. So I have no problem standing before you this morning and saying, I am a depraved sinner. I'm absolutely worthless and I deserve hell. And at the same time, I can tell you, God loves me. And he lives within me. And he wants to use me for his glory. See, I've got to to hold in tension that thing of, of who I am in light of who he is. And if I don't know who he is, if I don't have a revelation of who he is, I'm not going to see myself as I am. And I've got to see myself through his eyes. Because if I see myself through his eyes, it will stop me on the one hand falling into absolute despair and condemnation. And on the other hand, it should stop me falling into arrogance and pride. And look how awesome I am. Because I see myself through the revelation of Jesus. 
Is this making sense? When we have a real revelation of Him, it changes who we are. It doesn't change our thinking. It doesn't just change our, our understanding. It changes our very identity. In 1 John 5, we, uh, verse 20, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. He has given us a revelation so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. It's not just I have an intellectual understanding. I have a relation. I find my identity in him. Even in his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and he's talking, Paul's writing here, and he says, remember Moses, when Moses met with God face to face, it affected him so much that his own face would shine with the glory of God, and he would have to wear a veil when he went back to, to hide his shining face from, from the people of Israel. And we go, wow, how many of you got God? I would love to have been Moses and see you like that. And Paul's writing, no, no, we've got something greater than Moses. Because we, with, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is a revelation. And a revelation comes and we see and we experience the glory of God. And not only do we see and experience the glory of God, but then we become glorious. And you may say, I'm not glorious, I'm a sinner. I go to the swimming pool to look at naughty bits. Or I'm full of pride. Or I get it wrong so often. I remember Chantel when we were at Bible college. She once said to me, I'm going to be the perfect Christian today. She didn't make it till lunchtime. <laughs> and I don't say not to knock that. I say, well done. She almost made it to lunchtime. <laughs> That's the problem. You think you're the perfect Christian. It's because you haven't seen the perfect one. Have you ever seen pictures of sheep? And you think they're white. And then you see sheep in the snow. You only see a sheep isn't white when you see it against real white. And we need to be, be protected from the arrogance of look how perfect I am. Or the despair of oh I am not worthy. And the only way we can maintain that healthy balance is not through an increasing intellectual theology, but having met with Christ, seen him, and had the Holy Spirit reveal him to us and help us to transform us from one degree of glory to another. I think it's Peter who writes, we will be partakers in the divine glory. What a promise. You may be that trampled, torn, Dirty note lying on the floor. But you are of infinite worth. 
But you only know the worth when you have had a revelation of he who truly is of infinite worth. I saw a preacher once with a pizza box. He said, this pizza box is trash. It's rubbish. It's very, it's not worth anything unless there's a really good pizza inside <laughs> and then everybody wants it. Paul writes about being, uh, as being jars of clay containing the glory of God. And we kind of struggle with that because none of us use jars of clay. We are a pizza box <laughs> filled with the most delicious pizza. And the box is, is not really worth anything. It's, it's cardboard which will be discarded one day. But it's a desirable object when it's full of delicious, glorious pizza. Do you know the value of he who is within you? Do you know the glory of the one who wants to be in relationship with you? Do you know the beauty of the one who wants to reveal his face to you? Because if you don't, it's all just worthless knowledge. We are his workmanship. He chooses to come and dwell within us and take worthless, what the Bible calls us, objects of destruction, worthy of nothing but wrath and destruction. And he comes and gives us worth and value and beauty because he puts himself inside of us. And unless you've got a revelation of who he is that lives in you. I don't think you can properly worship. I don't think you can properly serve. You can do good works. You can do things that... But man, church gets tiring, doesn't it? Serving God gets exhausting. Worship, dare I say it, sometimes gets boring. Reading the Bible. Man, give me the Lord of the Rings sometimes. Come on, who's, be honest with me. Uh, because outside of him, it's just stuff. But in him, I've said before, TV's pretty boring when it's not plugged in. And if we're finding no joy and no life in church, if we're finding no joy and no life in his word, if we're finding no joy and no life in prayer, if we're finding no joy in life in hanging out with each other and talking about him, maybe the answer is we're not plugged in. And we need to seek his face once again. Because it may, I can guarantee it's not because he's deserted you. It might be that you're looking in the wrong direction. And repentance is turning back. And for some of us, we need to turn back and seek his face again. Because that's where we'll find life and joy and worth and purpose. If the Sistine Chapel is full of dirt and pollution and you can't see the colors properly, if you can't see the pictures properly, you will develop 
a thinking and an approach to justify your view. And it will just reinforce and reinforce and reinforce. And the longer it happens, the more your thinking is reinforced, the higher the walls and the harder it is to break sometimes. But thank God he's the God of the impossible. And he can break down our walls no matter how high and strong they are. And in a moment, reveal himself to us. And for this year, I feel that God's heart for us as a congregation, and more so God's heart for you as an individual, is not that you would work harder, do more, come to church more often, shout louder and sing and dance wilder, all those, those all can happen. His primary desire for each and every one this year is to allow him to come in and restore, wipe away the pollution, wipe away the dirt and show us the beauty of the true image and let the true colors of Jesus shine through into our lives First of all, for us. And secondly, so when people see us, they see the real Jesus, not some pale, dark, dingy imitation. Amen? Good night.